Hello and welcome to the Inspired Equity podcast. My name is Neely Pudera and I am here with my co-host, business partner and husband, Richard. We are the founders of Inspired Equity, the London-based investment business that specialises in property acquisitions and developments. Between us, we are world record holders, international property investors, prolific networkers, speakers and coaches. On each show, we will be discussing all aspects of successful property investing, covering everything from simple buy-to-let properties to multi-million pound developments. We will be interviewing industry leaders and hosting live Q&As with expert panels and keeping you up to date with the ever-changing and exciting world of property. We are honoured to have the legendary Sharon Lecter coming to, coming to be interviewed for us today. Sharon is a New York Times best-selling author who co-authored the world-renowned book Rich Dad Poor Dad and was the co-founder and CEO of the Rich Dad organisation where they went on to release another 14 books in the Rich Dad series to make it the world's leading personal finance brand. In 2008, she was asked by the Napoleon Hill Foundation to re-energise the world's largest personal development brand and wrote the book Think and Grow Rich for Women, as well as Three Feet from Gold and other hugely successful books in the series. She has served two US presidents as an advisor on the topic of financial literacy. Sharon is a successful entrepreneur, philanthropist, she served 35 years as a licensed CPA. Now, Sharon is now focusing on how to help people play big. So please welcome Sharon Lecter. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Nina. Richard, it's so wonderful to be with you guys. Thank you, I appreciate it. And what a wonderful opportunity for everybody to come. I actually see some familiar names, so it's exciting. I have a ton of questions for you. <laughs> So I've got to try and whistle them down. Ask um, away, ask away. <laughs> um, would you mind please, um, starting at the very beginning, um, can you please share with us the story of how the Rich Dad Poor Dad book came about and therefore the brand started? Would you mind sharing that story for us, please? Well, I'll try and give you the Cliff Notes version because I grew up in a very entrepreneurial house. We lived in a very small house between my mom's beauty shop and my dad's used car lot. And we had rental properties that I had to go scrub out the bathrooms between tenants and orange groves. I swore I would never be an entrepreneur. I was going to become a sophisticated professional. So I was the first generation of my family to go to college, got my degree in accounting. I was one of the very first women in public accounting. And so I was living, living high, a young single woman in Atlanta, and uh, you know, basically charting a new course for other women. And about the ripe old age of 25, I said, you know, this is kind of crazy. I'm working all these hours for someone else, not for myself. And all of a sudden, my parents started looking a whole lot smarter because they focused on buying, building, and creating income-producing assets, something that was just part of how I was raised. And I, at that point in time, I'm looking around, people don't get this. People don't understand this. And so I made the decision to leave public accounting and start my entrepreneurial career at 25. So I started and sold a woman's magazine. I started and built the first talking book industry for children around the world at Disney, Warner Brothers, Sesame Street. 
And then we sold that company, moved to Arizona. Our oldest son went off to college in September, came home in December, asking us to bail him out of debt. In those few short months, he'd had a really good time. He got himself into credit card debt. This was 1992. And I'll never forget, I was so mad at him, but I was more mad at myself because I thought I had taught him about money, but we didn't even know he had credit cards. He got to college campus and it was like free pizza, free money, free t-shirt, free money. And so at that point in time, that was December of 1992. And that's when I dedicated the rest of my career to financial literacy and financial education. Started working with the school systems. That's why my hair is white. Trying to get them to change and start educating kids about money. And um, advance a few years, my husband called and said, Sharon, I met a man today that has what you have been looking for. So ladies, what would you do if your husband called you and said, I met a man who has what you've been looking for? I went, um, okay, honey, I still know where I was. And um, I said, tell me more. And it was Robert Kiyosaki. And he had an idea for a board game. In fact, I just was on another interview. And this is what it looked like. You can see on my screen. And if, you know, if I can draw this, you could too. And this idea of teaching people about passive income. And uh, so I was the only one that got out of the rat race. I met Robert at a beta test for this. And I volunteered to help him um, commercialize it because of my background and my contacts. So he developed the board, board game cash flow first. And in that process, he wanted to charge $200 for it. We're talking 1996, $200 for a board game, kind of pricey. And I said, maybe we should write a brochure, a brochure that kind of talks about the philosophy behind the board game, the philosophy of mind building, creating assets. And most people don't know this little inside story, but that brochure was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <clears throat> and we had no idea it would take on a life of its own. We had no idea that we'd end up writing 15 books together over those 10 years. But that was the birth of Rich Dad. We thought our brand was cash flow. The world said, no, your brand is Rich Dad. And I was able to take what I had learned in developing these other companies with the power of association and branding and be able to build the Rich Dad organization around the world through that power of association and brand association that allowed us to really um, have an incredible success. It was the right message at the right time. It truly was viral marketing before Amazon, before the internet, dinosaur times, but it, um, people read it and shared it with people that they know. So that kind of is how it all started, Nina. Wow. And it, it's phenomenal because as you say, it was before the internet and everything, yet it was such a global sensation. It's, it's phenomenal. And, and what, what would you say were the biggest, because obviously you, you were with them for a long time, but then you made the decision to step away from that brand. What would you say was the biggest lesson that you learned in that process? Well, I think at the end of the day, everyone watching and listening to this, you need to stand in your own power. And we had been partners for 10 years, incredible success. We were at the height of our success, but um, we had not been getting along for a little bit and he wanted to go into franchising and franchising was a great model for us financially, but it was a terrible model for the franchisees. And I, I couldn't stay. I said, you know, this is no longer a good model. I don't want to, I do, I do not want to represent it. I could no longer look at myself in the mirror and feel good about myself. And so I made the decision to leave Rich Dad at the height of our success. And it was amicable for the first um, probably, um, oh, maybe six months. 
and then it actually got negative and we actually were in litigation for quite a while and we settled. It took 11 years. He wrote me a letter of apology. Um, so I say every, out of every adversity comes a seed of an equal or greater benefit. Sometimes you have to wait for it. But um, I, I always challenge it by saying sometimes you have to stand in your own power and you never know what's in front of you. Sometimes you have to close one door for other doors of opportunity to open for you, right? And you never know what that's going to be. And so you've already shared in my bio, but six months after this happened, I was like, I thought Rich Jeb was my legacy. And I said, oh, no, now what? Now what do I do? And that was when I got the call from President Bush. A few months later, I got the call from the Napoleon Hill Foundation. Neither one of those calls would I have gotten had I still been at Rich Dad. And so sometimes we have blinders and we stay in situations because it's what we know. We don't step outside our comfort zone. But when you stand into your power and you know that you have established yourself as an expert in a certain field, don't allow something to pull you down. Stand in your power and know that if you close the door, other doors are out there ready to fly open to you. And that if there's any message that I can share that I learned, and that's what I share with everyone is, make sure you are doing what you are meant to be doing. Absolutely. That's a, it's a really good message because as you say, you were in your comfort zone. You, you, you thought it was your legacy, but it was so brave of you to make that decision. And, and it's amazing. I, I'm a great believer in life is all about the choices that you make. And that was a great choice. <laughs> Congratulations. And um, I, I, one, of the, one of the things that I know, because I know how strongly you felt about children being educated and, and children not to be taken advantage of when it comes to financial education. And so I know, I know that you've got a, a, a bill passed through Congress um, to actually abolish the credit card and, and, and vendor booths in universities. And as part of your mission. And I mean, you must have faced some major challenges in that process um, and some major roadblocks. Um, can you share with us how you faced those challenges and, and what it was that got you through those challenges to achieve your goal? Well, one person can make a difference. I can't take credit for the bill, but I can certainly take credit for being a squeaky wheel. The Credit Card Act of 2009 came up and um, I was the only person on the Financial Literacy Advisory Council for the president that was an entrepreneur. Everybody else was either from a large company or from um, government organizations. And so I made a lot of noise about entrepreneurship and a lot of noise about um, our kids. And that bill um, did get passed. And it was part of, the, part of that bill was that credit card companies could no longer solicit young people on college campuses or within a thousand feet of college university activities. And so um, I love it today that young people go, well, well, that didn't happen to me. And I go, yes, that's right, it didn't, All right? So now credit card companies have to um, ask for a way for them to pay back their money or they need a co-signer to get those credit cards. So it's a step in the right direction, but certainly not enough. And our kids, um, we still don't have very many states, the U.S. or anywhere. You know, it's not just the, a U.S. issue. It's global, no matter where your address is or what language you speak. We're not teaching our kids about money in school. And it's something that when we talk about disadvantaged children, you know, we hear the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Well, that's because they're learning about it at home. If we truly want to level the playing field, if we truly want to give every child an equal opportunity to succeed, 
we would demand financial education in schools so that the children can learn the power of becoming a master of their money instead of a slave to it. And that's something that is, you know, was my commitment in December of 1992 when my son came home in credit card debt. I'm, I dedicated the rest of my career to financial education, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship education to make sure every child, every entrepreneur, every adult has the tools they need to create financial competence in themselves and financial independence for their family. That's fantastic. I, I, I'm, I'm a great believer in that as well. And it's, it's, it, it, thank you so much for everything you've done for that cause. It's fantastic. Um, you briefly touched on that, that you, um, that you launched the, the first audio book. Um, and, and I, I'm interested because it, you were the very, you, I believe you were partnered and you, you were responsible for launching that book. And can you share with us how you were able to propel it to such a global phenomenon um, and uh, through partnerships? Could you share a bit more information about that, please? Well, certainly. Back in 1987, um, a dear friend of mine actually was the inventor of the children's talking book. And in fact, I'll reach here. I think I have one on my desk again. It's the books, children's books that had the sound strips down the side. They didn't exist before 1987. And we said, and children didn't have electronics. They certainly didn't have the internet or computers or cell phones. And so we had this first product that we were going to put into children's hands that were electronic. We said, how can we get parents to trust us? We're just a new company. And so we said, let's, let's join forces with Disney, Warner Brothers, Sesame Street, Marvel Comics, and in doing that, we were able to have parents trusted those brands. And so that we, when we aligned with them, they trusted us. And we were able to take this company the first year we were excited. We had a million dollars in sales, right? Well, the second year was nine, then it was 23. And we were on our way to 52 million in sales the year we sold the company. And so again, every step of the way, understanding that power of association in Three Feet from Gold, um, my first book with the Napoleon Hill Foundation, I talk about your personal success equation. And it's combining your passion and your talent. Most of us stop there. Our passion is you know, what we're happy about, what we're excited about, what we're angry about. For me, I was angry, we weren't teaching kids about money, plus your talent. I had my degree in accounting, I had lots of publishing experience. And most of us stop there thinking that we have to do it on our own. But true success comes from a times A power of association. Who's on your team? Do you have a mentor? It's been proven people with mentors make more money than those who don't have mentors. And then the next level is times A, taking action. How many times do we know what we're supposed to do? We just don't do it. I get busted with that every time I share it. Plus F, and that's faith, having faith in yourself, having faith that what you're doing is needed and necessary, having faith. Too many of us, that F is actually fear, and it paralyzes us from reaching the success that we need. And so everything I've done in my entire career is leveraged through the power of association, and that's what I share with all of my clients. That's also the power of having a mentor. And, um, you know, I have a free gift that you guys want to just go to personalsuccessequation.com. There's a worksheet you can download to see. When I start working with a client, we go through that personal success equation to find out 
where they need the most work, passion, talent, association, action, faith. And invariably, it's that power of association that I can help them speed their success through, as well as that confidence in themselves, because they kind of go hand in hand. If you have the right people on your team, it builds up your confidence. And so every step of the way, we want to look at that and say, what do, who do you, you know, people that got you to where you are today may not be the right people to get to where you deserve to be next year. Yes, that, that, that's perfect. It leads me nicely on to my next question, actually. That was as if we had it planned. Um, I was going to ask, um, how important has... We, we are a business, global business networking club, okay? So how, how important has, has networking been? And, and, but more importantly, surrounding yourself with like-minded and, and driven people and peers in, in your success. It's absolutely essential. And that is the element of my success for my entire career. And if you think about um, 30 years ago, everything was very competitive. And some of those large companies that we have Today, they're actually collaborating. So today, the world of collaboration is, helps you speed to market. You find the right people to support you, other people's time, other people's money, other people's resources. That's how I built every success I've had in my life. All right, when we built the Rich Dad organization, um, I think I spent $1,500 for our first print run of Rich Dad. But then we reinvested those dollars and every organization that came to us, Time Warner Books, Time Life, they all paid us to approach, uh, to work with us and they use their money, their time, their resources to propel our message globally. That's what you want to do. That's true leverage. And it's through that um, strategic alliances, partnerships, relationships, licensing agreements that allow you to exponentially grow and create scalability in your business. So that power is what you have here is an incredible, brilliant way for people to connect with others where it may be a geographic connection. You may have something in your, you're in Norway and through this organization, you meet somebody in Spain that wants that information. And so they can license from you and be able to exponentially grow your impact. And that's, that's the brilliance of what you provide. And the, the, that power of association, that networking is so important. And understand that it's a two way street. You know, when you go into a networking organization and you just start wanting to regurgitate what you do, what you do, what I can do, what I can do, um, you're, you're going to probably push people back a little bit. But when you come in and say, how can I serve you? There's a difference. Okay, how can I serve you? What value can I add? I grew up in a home. My dad would ask me every night, Sharon, have you added value to someone's life today? Okay, my success is through service, not selling. I want to serve, I want to support you and your organization in any way that I can to help you take your, your life, your business, your financial foundation to the next level through service. I, I love, um, I, 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 when I've heard you speak before, I love the, what you say about the, the um, you know, the, the work-life balance and, the, and, and how it should be a work-life fulfillment. Um, can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Because I think it's a really great point. Well, certainly. Um, I cannot stand the term work-life balance. I absolutely hate it. The only place the word balance belongs is in the yoga studio or dance studio. Um, in the world that we live in right now, there is no balance. We are constantly moving. We're moving forward. We're moving sideways. We're moving back. 
And so the issue is to understand how to create one big life. And when I wrote Thinking Grow Rich for Women, I added that as, a, as an additional chapter to the original Thinking Grow Rich book because it is a, something that really plagues women so much. And that is we all have a financial aspect to our life, a family, a business, a spiritual, a physical, and all of those things work together to create who we are. And what happens today is we start with this stupid premise of work-life balance people immediately turn into guilt. They're, they're, they're afraid they don't have work-life balance or afraid they're gonna be judged for their work-life balance. When you're an entrepreneur, it's all one, one big life. And what a great opportunity to teach your children about what you're doing, all right? But what happens is we, we judge ourselves, all right? Oh my gosh, I didn't spend enough time with my kids. I start feeling guilty. So I'm wasting the one precious resource we have, time. So when you're worrying, you're worrying about something that happened yesterday or something that may or may not happen tomorrow. And so I say, you know, I happen to be a champion worrier, but I say, stop it. And my definition of worry is to pray for what you do not want. Let me repeat that. To worry is to pray for what you do not want. That means your mind is focused on a negative outcome. And so catch yourself. I still get into my little worry storms. I stop myself and I go, okay, Sharon, instead of focusing on what I do not want, let's focus on what I do want. And you're shifting your mind from negative to positive. And it's amazing the results that you get. And so work-life balance is falls in that category. You're wasting precious time about something that happened yesterday or may or may not happen tomorrow. And so understand that you acknowledge that you didn't spend enough time with your kids yesterday. Make a different choice today because all of us are where we are today because of the choices we made before today. And if you want something different, if there are people you need to get out of your life or new people you need to bring into your life, start making different choices today. And that is the element of understanding instead of thinking or living work-life balance, think of fulfillment, work-life fulfillment, creating one big life of joy and contribution. It's great advice. And it, 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 um, I, I was going to ask you about, uh, as you are an absolute branding queen, um, People often talk about having a, a, a personal brand and a business brand. And, and, and I, I personally believe that, they are, that they're the same. You should be living your brand. It should be one thing. Do, do you, do you how, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yes and no. It depends on the business that you are in. And so, for instance, um, I have a personal brand but I also have a mission brand, all right? Pay your family first. And so when you're building a company, you have to, you know, are you a, you do want a celebrity brand or a mission brand? And so when you're starting a company, like when we started the talking book company and Rich Dad both, he said, we don't want to um, tie it to us individually. We want to be able to sell it if we need to. And if we get to that point where we can impact more people by bringing in other, uh, other organizations or by selling it. So the brand was based on the mission and the product. And that brand can, can live outside me. Pay your family first, can live outside me. All right. 
But the Sharon Lecter brand is very important to me because it establishes who I am, what my mission is, what my dedication is, and as a consistent message of, of who I am, which is why at that time I had to leave Rich Tech because was, I was no longer consistent with what he wanted to do in the company. And so it's both are very important. Many times they can be aligned. But if you think about um, you know, Tony Robbins, what an incredible success he is, right? Well, his company is him. And so it's going to be hard to separate him from the company. And, but that was a choice that he made, and he's hugely successful. So there's nothing wrong with being a celebrity brand, a personal brand. But your personal brand can live outside your company brand because their company may be a stepping stone to the next chapter of your life. But your personal brand is your life. Indeed. And on, on the subject of your life, I know that you've been happily married for a, for a very long time. And obviously you are um, a, world, a world phenomenon and, you know, you, you are super, super successful. Um, how has that, how has that been? Uh, sorry, what I'm trying to get at is the importance of having a good, what is the importance of having a good supportive partner or a supportive network around you you know people that can support you along your journey when you are such a brand in yourself well thank you for that question yes my husband and I will celebrate 40 years of marriage in September and um, you know it's it's a gift it's work um, almost all the years have been happy um, but uh, I say that jokingly but um, he's my best friend. Um, I respect him as much as I love him. And I think that's probably the secret to success. His parents just celebrated 72 years of marriage. Um, my parents are, they're both still living. My parents would have celebrated 72 as well, but I've lost both of them. And, you know, I think it is commitment. And as today, things are too easy, too easy to get out of. I think it's a matter of understanding respect and love and, and really having a shared vision um, it's not easy when you're on the road all the time and you're in the media to maintain that personal connection, but that's a commitment we made to each other. And I think it's very important for people to be, um, you know, to understand how important it is to respect one another and to, um, and provide that time. And my husband and I had the greatest test ever. Seven and a half years ago, we lost our youngest son. You're not supposed to outlive your kids. And marriages seldom survive that. And um, we respected enough each, each other enough to know that we had to handle it differently. Um, I had friends that swarmed in to keep my head above water. He had to be by himself. And so we had to respect each other in, in doing that and just clinging to each other and support to get through that. But that's really you know what, what proved to me in the long run that I needed to um, get out there more because I needed to share what happened to me and the fact that it really threw me into a tailspin and I was living in a, in a world of numb for a while. And I had to you know, wake myself up. I started to retire and I got pushed back a lot from a lot of family and friends. I actually think I heard my son say, mom, get over it. There's more for you to do. And I realized that by sharing what happened to me that I can impact other people, particularly this year, because we all have things that stop us in our tracks. Hopefully not many of you suffered what I did. But through the de a death or a divorce or financial setback, and certainly this year with the world coming to a stop, um, people have, you know, really had to reevaluate their future and their life. 
and I'm, I'm telling you, my message to you is the same as my son's to me and my inner ear is you're still here for a reason and there's more for you to do. And there are people out there that can benefit from what you know. They can benefit from how you survived whatever you faced, even though it's still painful. And I'll, you know, I'll never get over the morning of my son, but I do realize that by sharing it now, I can help other people and open the opportunity, a channel for them to share their loss and their grief and be able to know that there is still life. There is more for you to do. And so that's my greatest message. And that's, I founded the Play Big Movement as a Facebook group. I invite you all, it's free to talk about, to help people become number one in their field, to live their legacy, to realize we're still here. And every heart we touch creates our legacy and to create maximum impact. And that's all of us adding contribution to each other. Today is the day, you know, more than ever, we need to add value to the people around us to get through this craziness. Thank you so much. And thank you for being so open then. Um, I'm very sorry to, to, to learn of that. It's awful. And, and, and it's just such strong, courageous words and, and just testament to what a, strong, what a wonderful lady you are. I, I've, um, the, I'm going to open it up because I'm conscious of time um, for other questions for you. But just one last question that I have. You touched then on the economic um, climate um, and this Zoom call is full of entrepreneurs that are budding entrepreneurs, big, small business owners. Um, in light of today's announcement and, and which we all kind of knew anyway, what, I, you've touched on the, the fear aspect, but what would be your advice to two small business owners right now and, and just some words of wisdom from you? Well, thank you, Nina. Yeah, I, um, successful businesses do one of two things, solve a problem or serve a need. We have a lot of those right now. And so by taking a step back and reevaluating what problem you solve, what need you serve, and there may need, I don't like the word pivot because that means you're changing your direction. I think you just adapt and understand that the climate has changed and you may, your messaging may need to change um, your outreach and you may need to serve, all right? Give, 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 give before you ask in the world that we live in. And I think it's very important for people to um, tie into that and understand how is your business today impacting other people? And how can you reach more people? I mean, one of the things we, I literally, right before I was with you, I was on a webinar where we've taken one of our high-level money mastery classes and made it very, very inexpensive because I want to serve people out there and say, here's information that can help you and help you move forward. And so that's one of the things we've recalibrated and retooled to make sure we can serve more people. And that's really important now. But also to you know, say, how can you expand your reach through service and support one another. Understanding the world has changed. I mean, I uh, before 2020, I was on the road 75 to 80% of the year, right? Since March, I've literally been in this chair a lot, doing a lot of summits, but I've reached more people because I have the opportunity to hop from one thing to the next and be on four or five broadcasts a day. I never thought I would enjoy that, but I have. Now I still miss the fit, you know, face to face. I miss the hugs. I, you know, I'm, I miss hearing people, um, their stories one-on-one, -on -one. but it's like, okay, accept the new reality and here we are. I'm taking my first trip next week to go to Nashville and then Dallas um, for an event that I'm doing with Tim's story and with coach Michael Burt. And it's like, hmm, go to the airport. 
I remember that. That used to be that used to be a regular thing for me. And so it's, you know, the world has changed, but you, you can look at it as um, drudging through the fact that it's changed and it's not what you were used to. Or you can say, okay, let's look at the, you know, and I don't like the term new normal either. Let's look at what's happening today and how can I best succeed and best serve more people with the world as it is today. Understanding that we can't control what's happening in the world economy. We can't control our country's economy unless you're in a different position. And, but you can't control your wallet. And so now is the two, we've been given this total reset. It's the time for you to sit saying, what is working for me and what is not? And before people used to kind of be afraid of the criticism, people judging you, well now, Nobody can judge anymore because everybody's in this position of retooling, redefining, resetting, and refiring what you want out of life. And that's, you know, you know my, my goal for everyone I speak to is to just have the confidence. Um, you've heard the phrase, wait for the light at the end of the tunnel, or I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I hate it. I said, stop it, because that means you're giving up your power. You're waiting for someone else to bring you a solution. Make a commitment to yourself to become a beacon of light, your own beacon of light, and stand tall and firm and be positive. Because if you do that, you're going to attract other people to you, and their lights are going to shine brighter because of you. And that's how we're going to truly get through this. That's how we're going to take our small businesses and survive and thrive, because we're adding value to other people's lives. So seize this as an opportunity. Be on the front of the wave. Don't get capsized by it because we have an opportunity to serve others and create a better solution for tomorrow. I love, I love that. <laughs> and I really miss hugs too. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much, Sharon. Over to you, Richard. <laughs> Sharon, thank you so much. I've been loving everything that you had to say and I have a whole host of questions. And at the start of uh, this, Nina said, I'm, I'm taking control of the question, so I've been waiting patiently. Uh, my first question is, is about the books that you've written. You have written so many books, and they're ju not just books. They are life-changing books, inspirational and really educational. How did you get your inspiration to put pen to paper so many times with such enthralling content? And then given that you've just told us that you were spending 70, 75% of the time on the road, how on earth did you find the time to write them? Well, that's a good, that's a better question because yes, <laughs> it, um, it's like, am I crazy? Yes, that's probably true. Um, I actually, a lot of people write an hour a day, that type of, I don't do that. I run away to the beach for five to seven days at a stretch um, turn off all my electronics and dive in and write. And then I walk away from it for a few months or a few weeks. And then I come back and I go, oh, this is pretty good. And then I go, what was I thinking? Get rid of that. And so every book is a different process. I've written 25. And um, within the Rich Dad series of 15 books, they just kind of, you know, we didn't, we never had a plan to do that. We had Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then we had a lot of people wanting more. So we said, okay, we'll do a trilogy. Wish Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant, Rich Dad's Guide to Investing. Oh no, people wanted more. So we ended up doing 15 books um, through, through that 10-year relationship that we had, the partnership. 
but people wanted more. So I launched a series called Rich Dad Advisors. And so you, you constantly want to gauge what people are asking and what your customers want and need. I don't write a book just to write a book. I always have a passion for it. And so for instance, Three Feet from Gold, I was asked to step into that by the foundation because they'd had a young man, Greg Reed, working on it, but he was kind of lost. And so I partnered with him and were able to do Three Feet from Gold, which was a huge gift to me because it, it, it really solidified my relationship with the foundation. And I had read Think and Grow Rich when I was 19. And then the month we released it, the foundation called me again and said, we have this manuscript that's been hidden away for 73 years called Outwitting the Devil. What an incredible honor I had to bring that out into the world today because it is so pertinent for what's happening in our world today. And then even after that, it was like, I think it's time to write Think and Rich for women. So again, these they evolve and um, I am pretty good at writing, but it's also um, communicating. It's not just writing, it's, it's right as you would speak and understand the, the, it's sharing. It's not telling, it's sharing the emotional side. And so I use books as a vehicle um, because I believe in providing things that are very cost effective. So there's no better way to provide information um, in a cheaper variety than creating a book. And that's something that um, I'm excited about. I have a new book coming out in January called Exit Rich, um, which is about building a company so that you can sell it. So you have a successful company, making it scalable, making it sustainable and saleable. And so that's, that's um, it's been picked up by Inc. Magazine. So I'm pretty excited about that. So that's my, my latest little fun project. Wow, sounds amazing. I can't wait uh, until it's released. Do you have a favorite book? Sharon, this is a sub question. I get that question a lot. <clears throat> and my answer is, it depends. It depends. Um, it depends on who, what the reader, where the reader is and what their needs are. Probably um, in today's environment, my favorite book is probably Outwitting the Devil, just from a standpoint of understanding the, the crippling fear and how to get rid of that and how to identify it. Um, I love thinking Go Rich for Women because it allowed me to really almost be in connection with Napoleon Hill and honor his work as well as looking at it through the eyes of successful women. I honor over 300 women in the book and it was um, just an incredible honor to be asked to do that. And I think those two are probably um, my favorite. And Rich Dad, probably my favorite book is, out, is um, Cashflow Quadrant because it talks, it's the most about mindset, understanding the mindset of how you make money as an employee or self-employed person versus being a business owner and investor and how important it is to move to the right side of the quadrant. And that's not what school teaches us. And it's what I teach people. I teach people how to move to the right side of the quadrant, how to create assets. My favorite word on earth is assets and assets are sexy. I'm having an event uh, August 21st, assetsaresexy.com, because that's my um, superpower. That's where I am distinguish myself from other people that teach about money. And that is because every wealthy person in the world, no matter where you live, no matter what you do, they all have one thing in common. They have income producing assets. And when the, your assets are working for you, they're like your employees, they're generating income. And your financial freedom comes when income from your assets exceeds your monthly expenses. And so I challenge everybody to think about where is your income coming from and how can you buy, build, and create assets to add additional wealth for yourself and your family? 
Fantastic. Thank you. Exceptional advice. And we've got a bunch of property investors or real estate investors on, on, um, on this event this evening. So I know some of them are going to want to come and ask you questions. Last question from me for now. Uh, and it's about your, your favorite subject matter, playing big. What's your advice to everyone to make sure that you play big? Well, or more than likely, you're playing too small. So I'm just going to challenge everybody. Get in your face. You need to play a bigger game. More people out there ask yourself, you know, say, are you selling or are you serving? And people say, you know, well, I need, I need to ask for help. And they, but they feel like they don't deserve it. And I go, well, just change your perspective. Change your mindset. Instead of feeling like you're less than asking for help, Okay, change it and say, you're showing a sign of respect that this individual has wisdom that's going to help you on your journey. And that sign of respect is what is going to help you open the doors and get that mentorship and get that thing. And I saw somebody asking about mentors. Yes, you want somebody. There's a difference between coach and mentors. A coach is going to keep you accountable to something. A mentor has been where you want to go. They can open doors. They can speed you around pitfalls. So it's so very important to understand that you, you have the right people on your team and the right people um, directing you in, in where you want to go. So I'm not quite sure if I answered the rest of your question. I got a no. little lost, a little sidetracked. No, no, that, that was brilliant. Thank you. And it's actually been a perfect segue because the first person I was going to bring up is my good friend, Glenn. Uh, he's on the call with uh, his wife, Gwen. And he'd mentioned about the mentoring. So he has a question. But Glenn is a very successful property investor, developer as well. So he knows all about income producing assets. All Glenn, right. you're, you are on with Sharon. Hello, Hi, Sharon. Glenn. Thank you so much. That was your, your very eloquent and you are um, just on top of your game. It's every word you're giving us is, is, is uh, uh, well received. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I've got a, an idea of something I would like to do in an entrepreneurial way, um, but um, I'm looking for someone who I can get to mentor me. Uh, it's in a subject I don't really want to talk about, but um, I don't know where to go to find a, mem a mentor in that particular discipline. Um, and the other sub-question I was going to have, actually, which you've already covered, is what is the difference between a mentor and a coach? Well, you've, 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 co you've covered that. But, Certainly. Um, uh, a mentor, I mean, I'm just not, not really sure where to go to find a mentor and what I'm trying to do. And I'm, I... So, um, first of all, um, mentors are, really good mentors are hard to find. You want to find somebody who's successful and where you want to go and find out if they have a mentor and who that is. You want a mentor who's going to step into your world, not just sell you theirs. Um, you know, all of my clients that I, that I mentor, I'm dedicated to their success. And so I'm in their world helping them and they have various different industries. And so you want, you want to find a mentor that you can relate to, that you understand, um, you know, and again, in your industry, they don't have to necessarily be in your geographic region, but they, you want them to understand and ask the right questions of your business. You want them interested in your business not just interested in your money and so that's you know a very important element and ask other successful people around you who their mentors are um, if you're interested more about in my mentoring you can go to my website sharonlector.com there's a form there you can fill out and we can support you and we can maybe direct you in a different direction if you're looking for somebody different but again, it's actually reaching on and making those connections and asking the questions and finding the right people um, 
you know, it sounds to me like you're very specific at one you what you want you want to do. So you don't want to get into a mentoring program that's a group. You more probably want somebody to just kind of focus on what you're doing. And that, you know, that's the beauty of what I do with my clients because I also have my husband. He's a very well-known intellectual property attorney. So a lot of times we actually mentor groups together. But analyze what it is you want to create. And make sure you have a mentor if it's something new. I heard you say innovative. Um, you know, you want somebody that's willing to sign a, a non-disclosure agreement or have a relationship with you like in a lawyer-accountant relationship that we have with our clients where we're there to support them creating that success and help them get to where they deserve to be. Yeah, because this business of non-disclosure, I'm not sure how, how you can actually enforce that. But... Um, because it's a, a new thing I'm looking at, it's, um, it's something I don't want somebody else to run off with the idea, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, I wouldn't disclose it to a lot of different people until right. you find the person that you feel comfortable with, is my, would be my recommendation. Good. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Glenn, for a, a wonderful question. Uh, Sharon, I'm going to take the opportunity to, to ask you a, a question again. Again, it's slightly linked. There's one I wrote down earlier. You talked about partnerships and working with and collaborating with people. Um, in property or real estate, it's very much a sort of partnership uh, heavy type industry sector. Um, yet so many people make um, mistakes in working with the, the wrong partners. How do you go about undertaking your due diligence uh, and assessing people that you want to work with or collaborate with? That's a great question, very important one. No, I, my um, tongue-in-cheek response to that, Richard, is you need to plan the divorce before the marriage. Um, because when two people come together, they're very excited, all right? There might be a level of knowledge or maybe they're new to each other. So they're both excited about the potential successful outcome, all right? And so that's the time to say, well, you know, we're very excited. We know this is going to work, but let's just cover our bases and say, you know, if, we, if we're a year down the road and one of us wants out, this is how we're going to get out. Um, we're going to do this because when you have high emotion, you have very low intelligence. And so you want to structure the buy sell or the way to separate up front when you're still excited and while you still like each other and it makes life a whole lot easier. So it's very important. And, you know, I have so many issues with partnerships that people come to me, they want to, you know, figure out how to get it. So because it is, um, emotional. And so all of a sudden you're working harder than they are and you start resenting them. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's important to set that up up front so that you can have a business relationship, not a friendship. And even though the friendship might be new, it's still a, you know, it's like in the good old days, they used to be able to do handshake deals. Well, today people's memory get a little fuzzy. And particularly if you're in a partnership where you're the little guy and they're the big guys, right? You really need to make sure that you have everything in writing because the person that you're communicating with and doing the deal with may not be there in a year. And the new person will say, well, I didn't make that agreement. So you can say, well, here it is in the agreement as to what our roles and responsibilities are. So it's really important to have the right structure up front. I mean, it's very important to have the right legal structure, particularly in real estate, 
because so many, you know, it's, it's, it's something that you set it up, up up front on how you're going to get out, then you follow that procedure and you get the emotion out of it. Again, you want high intelligence, low emotion, not high emotion, low intelligence when you're doing a deal. And now, you know, the real estate's, I'm excited about what's happening in real estate right now. I wouldn't be inviting, you know, investing too much in commercial property right now, but, you know, residential rental, there's things that, that uh, people can look at and say, how can I, you know, get, get involved with this to support the economy as well as have an opportunity to invest in um, income producing assets. So. Fantastic. Thank you. And again, it's a nice segue to, to my last question before I bring, um, I bring someone up before we wrap up. Um, Sharon, there's, much argument about passive income. Some people say that it's not that passive, other people say that it's um, easy to produce. My, my view is that at the outset, you have to put quite some effort in, but then ultimately it does become uh, a, uh, a continual and ongoing income. So there, it does become passive. What's your view on that, please? Well, okay, so let me use a book as an example, all right? It took me quite a while to write Exit Rich, all right? But that part's done. And now I'm gonna enjoy the benefit of selling it and having people buy it. And this, the income stream is gonna be you know, in perpetuity, but then I have to continue um, creating the back end to that in business. Let's go a little bigger, a rental property, a three, two. It's gonna take you a little time and due diligence to find it. It's gonna take you time to make sure that the numbers work and it works and you buy it and you find the tenant, but then if you have a long-term tenant, as long as you've got a management company, then it's something that's gonna generate revenue for you into the future. So yes, there is building a business, okay? It's 20 year overnight success, right? You build a business, it takes a while to get it up and running and successful. But when you have a true business operating, other people are running it, it's got business systems, then you have something that's gonna work for you and you can sell it or you can keep it and let it be that engine, economic engine. So economic engines are what create passive income. Too many people have a job, they own a job, not a business. And that's never passive income because it still depends on you being there. So we wanna take that solopreneur and create the business systems around them so they can be a business that's duplicatable and scalable and become economic engines. And that's where you see the passive income. That is the best execution of a, a, a description about passive income I've ever heard. Sharon, thank you so much. Thank you. I, I have one last uh, question because I'm very mindful of time now. Uh, and it's um, uh, from one of our um, uh, um, listeners here this evening. Uh, how can we have successful and fulfilling life? That would be a nice one to end on. Successful, fulfilling life is adding value to people's lives every day. Um, and reminding yourself when you get out of bed in the morning um, of what problem you solve, what need you serve, because that takes it outside of you and it gives you the motivation. And I, I, I want to, I see some questions in the chat, if I may be so bold as to say, um, Sarah's asking me about tools I've used to be able to talk about my son's passing in public. I didn't for a long time, Sarah. And it was one day I'm on stage and I'm having Q&A like here and somebody says, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? They didn't say what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you in business. And so that was the trigger where the first time I actually shared that my son passed. And 
the incredible outpouring of people that came up to me afterwards and I was bawling. I was crying because I had to answer the, I felt I had to answer the question honestly. So I shared what happened and it was an incredible experience to see by me being willing to share it, the amount of other people that could open their stories and their share. And it doesn't mean I'm not emotional about it when I talk about it, but it's something that made me understand that by sharing that, I opened up this opportunity and a space for other people to share their hearts and what they've been through. And it's something that, um, that I hope that helps you and as it relates to your question. And somebody else said, getting back to the topic of staying in your power, can you explain further how you stay in your power, but also move out of your comfort zone? I challenge you, Ken, when you step outside your comfort zone, you get your power. You feel that confidence go up because you're doing something. Two years ago, we were in Thailand. I got into a cage with three nine-foot um, big tigers, right? You, that was definitely outside my comfort zone. If you only imagine what I was saying to myself. But boy, did I feel strong. So stepping outside the comfort zone, that's where the magic is. That's where you expand your associations. That's where you expand your opportunities. Challenge yourself to live in the world of possibilities not in the world of probabilities. What's possible in your life? And what's possible is outside your comfort zone. So, Sharon, thank you so much. And I'm, I hadn't seen Ken's question actually. And I was hoping he would ask a question because Ken uh, last year alone read 68 books. Is, um, if, if I ever need advice on a new book, I, I go to Ken, he's an exceptional guy. So um, great one to finish on. Uh, before I hand back to Nina, I wanted to give you my heartfelt thanks. When I first read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I never, ever dreamed that I would um, meet the co-author, you, Sharon, and it has been an absolute pleasure and an honor. Thank you so, so much. I truly appreciate it. It's my honor, Richard. Thank you so much. And I appreciate all of you. Any questions, you can reach out to me, info at SharonLector.com. But um, I think you're in the right group. You guys are wonderful. I love all the activity in the chat. So congratulations, Richard and Nina, for bringing them all together. Well, that wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about us and what we do, go to inspiredequity.com. Join us on our next show for more interactive property discussions. Until then, I wish you good health and continued success. Go out there and be inspired.